The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. You may recall that last time that we were here that we preached from Psalm 142 and we talked about the prayer of David as he was in the cave. Over there with 600 men, men who were like lions, men who had no regard for the Lord, not like David did, surrounded by those whose interests were different than, their, than his, surrounded by those whose hearts in many instances were different than his. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Kind of reminds me of where I go every day. But not in this place, I trust, and not here. And that's why it's so important, as Brother James prayed in his prayer, that the fellowship is so key, key to our experience as children of God. But there are times, beloved, when we don't have the luxury of that fellowship. We don't have access into that fellowship. This week I was uh, asked to come over and speak to the law, at the law school uh, at the Christian Legal Society. Um, there's, they have actually a pretty good little group over there and I was glad to see that because when I was there there wasn't many there. There was about five or six, maybe 10 at the most. There were probably 30, 35 people there. Uh, but uh, I, I thought as I went in that place, because the law school was not, uh, it, was, it was a good experience that I had, but when I went to law school there, and John Morgan can affirm this, and you can, you can translate this over into any college setting you want to, probably. And when I went there, I didn't feel like I was walking into the fellowship of the saints. <laughs> not at all. It was actually, uh, there was many times I wanted to run, and I still get the heebie-jeebies when I walk in that place over there, because I remember what that first year was like. And, uh, but uh, but, uh, but it, was, it was nice, and it was sweet, not to the extent that, I've been able, that we're able to fellowship here today, but it was sweet to, to experience, to be in a place where I realized I didn't have to worry about whether I use the name of Christ or whether I name the name of Jesus. I didn't have to worry about that. Not that I would anyway, but, but now let's all be honest about it. When we're out in the world and we're in places out there uh, that aren't um, friendly to, to the name of Christ and aren't friendly to us, we all, it, you, it, it takes a lot of uh, exercising and a lot of skill, a lot of training, a lot of uh, experience to get to the point where it doesn't make you just... Okay, I said, Jesus, is somebody going to throw a rock at me? <laughs> I said, Christ, I prayed in the name of Jesus. And I, 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 I prayed uh, uh, that, that the Lord would save his people. I, you know, is somebody going to get me? You know, that's kind of, I, I confess to you, it, I think of those things. Now, the, the key to it, child of God, is, is that even when you think of those things, and when, when you're a little nervous about that, you do it anyway. <laughs> you do it anyway. But, that's, but it's natural for us to feel that way. But it was nice to go into a place where I could feel like I didn't have to worry about talking about the Bible or using the Word of God. But it's nice and sweet when I can come here. I don't have to be careful. <laughs> I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to, uh, whether you're going to get up and storm out, or even worse, run down here and try to stone me. You know, you know, I don't have to worry about like, oh, Stephen. I love Stephen. Stephen was able to stand up and preach yeah. there in front of those people, knowing full well that they were going to hate him, and possibly he might have even known he was preaching his own death sentence. He was making his closing argument uh, and basically uh, setting himself up. Up to be stoned to death you know Stephen was bold anyway and that's the way we ought to be but that's a scary situation and we need the holy boldness of the Holy Spirit in order to do it I don't need that here I need the Holy Spirit and I need to be bold yes but I don't have to worry about that I'm in a place where I'm going to be persecuted for preaching the Word of God 
but David was there. We're going to see as we go through his life, there are several times. And we're not going to get there today, I don't think. But, uh, but there's, there's a point where David does what is right, even though all of his men are urging him to do what is natural. See, there's a difference in what's right and what's natural to do. And, and of course, I'm talking about when he came upon the opportunity to kill Saul. He had the opportunity to do that, and they encouraged him to do what everybody else thought he ought to do. And in fact, it made perfect sense. <laughs> made perfect sense. The problem was, it wasn't what God wanted him to do. See, David was among lions. He was in a place where he struggled. And we saw last time that I was here and preaching on this, that he started out being overwhelmed, and he ended up singing praises to God. And it was because of some things he remembered and the things that he looked at. And, and, and really, I, I just want to remind you of this, too. He, got, he, he, he verbalized his prayer before God. He vocalized it to God. He talked to God. You know, I hear this often. I've been there where I felt like I could not pray. I've had people come to me and say, Preacher, I, I, just, don't, I just can't pray anymore. What do I do? I, I just, I've lost the ability to pray. What do I do? And you know what my response is? As you pray anyway. Well, I can't form. Listen, vocalize it. You can talk, can't you? You can talk. You say, I can't do it. Oh, yes, you can. You can talk. You can say, you can say, you just told me you couldn't pray. <laughs> Tell God. <laughs> Tell God. Get off by yourself, you know, somewhere. Uh, I don't care if you do it in front of me. I don't, you know, but I mean, you know, people kind of not. You know, actually, I started to say people will think you're crazy if you walk around talking to yourself. But we see people doing that all the time, don't we? They get these little earbuds in. You know, they used to lock you up for that. And I, I, was, I was walking around the other day, and some guy was just talking. I thought, man, this guy's crazy. But then I realized he was talking on the phone, you know. So anyway, you won't look near as crazy as you used to would look if you walk around talking to God, okay? Uh, so, so just say, God, I can't pray anymore. I don't know what's wrong with me. God, where are you? God, I'm having trouble. You can tell him all that, you see. So you can pray. You just don't realize it. You can vocalize it. God, that's what David did. That's what David did. And now this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 23, we want to go to the continuation, the continuation of David's journey to the kingship. And remember, the reason we're talking about David in the first place is because we're told by uh, God himself that he was a man after God's own heart. And I think that's the kind of guy I need to know about. Because that's the kind of person I want to be. So, so notice here, and this morning we're going to look in chapter 23 for sure. I don't think we'll get to chapter 24. But in chapter 23 and in chapter 24, we read about David the Deliverer. David the Deliverer. We saw David the, uh, uh, the depressed in the, in the uh, cave. Now we see David the deliverer, and we're going to talk about some things that he does. He was in the cave, and, and one thing, too, that I, I'll just say as, we, as you turn there to 1 Samuel 23, one thing, too, that I love about David is God granted him the ability to write down what he was thinking in all of these times that we read, in most of these times that we read about. He writes, I believe it was eight psalms that he wrote while he was fleeing as a fugitive from Saul. And we get to delve into his mindset, and God inspired him to write these things so that we can identify in many ways with him. Chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, Then they told David, verse 1, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they robbed the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? 
And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. And David's men said unto him, Behold, we be afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we come to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord yet again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle and smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. And it came to pass when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David to Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. Now here we read about David, the deliverer of Keilah. He delivers Keilah, this city, from the hand of the Philistines. Now Keilah was a border town in Judah. It was about 12 miles from Gath which is a Philistine city. So it's very close to the, to the enemy. It was extremely vulnerable and especially vulnerable during the harvest season because the Philistines would come over and they would raid the storehouses of goods and the storehouses of grains that they had, uh, that they had uh, 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 piled up and, and brought in. And I want you to notice something. <laughs> notice that this place, Keilah, was really not on Saul's radar screen. Saul, the king of Judah, who should have been their protector, had not sent any soldiers to defend them. He was too busy chasing David. He was too busy. He was fixated upon David. You're going to find that there's a lot of things that malice and hatred will lead you to do, but especially that will lead you to neglect. Malice and hatred will cause you to fixate and it will cause you to neglect things that you ought to be doing. Saul had neglected this place and, and they were under attack by the Philistines, the great enemy of Judah. So what did David do? Well, first of all, he inquired of the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. Look at verse 2. Therefore David inquired of the Lord. Now that's going to be important as we continue along the life of David. Because you're going to find the time in David's life where he inquired within himself. Where he... Uh, pondered it internally instead of inquiring of the Lord he counseled with himself to do something and you're going to see what a mess he gets in and of course the Lord delivers him again the Lord you know that kind of one reason I like David is is I get myself in so many messes and the Lord delivers me every time he's and and I believe the reason he delivered David and the reason he delivers us at the times that he delivers us it doesn't just leave us to our devices it's because we're not willfully going against him. I don't think David was willfully. He was more neglectfully uh, going against God. You know, there's, there's times when we willfully sin. There's times when I willfully sin. And you know what the Bible says about that? There's only a certain fearful looking for of the judgment of God, that the, con the chastening of God that's coming on us when we willfully sin. But there are times when I neglectfully sin. I'll never forget Brother Mike Ivey standing here in this pulpit made a statement some year or two ago when he preached here. He said... Uh, he said he never got in trouble as a young man because he intended to. It was always just because he forgot to do right. <laughs> you ever been there? <laughs> you know, it wasn't because I intended to do evil. It's because I forgot to do right. <laughs> you know, my mom and daddy would tell me to do something, and, I, and I, I, I wouldn't intentionally go out and violate it, but i just forget about it, and I didn't do what they said, you see. Often that's the way it is with us, and that's as much a sin as anything else in the sight of God. But often the consequences are different, and the Lord tends to help us uh, get out of those situations. And that's what's happened with David. He inquired of the Lord. He, there's a time coming when he will not inquire of the Lord. But notice here, he's still doing what God, seeking what God would have him to do. And this ought to be the first thing we do, child of God, and anything that we 
endeavor. Any, any undertaking we, we, we start, we ought to inquire the Lord first. And that's what David did. He said, inquire to the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines. It's so easy for our personal interest to get in the way of God's will. But God, David routinely inquired of the Lord on these important matters. And then we see where he, he not only inquired of the Lord, but he encouraged his men. Notice in verse 3. You remember me telling you, you remember what he said in Psalm 57 and verse 4? The psalm from the cave. He says, My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. This doesn't sound like men that are inquiring of the Lord, does it? This doesn't sound like men of faith. This sounds like men of carnal nature, men of carnal desires, men who's, who are set on fire, men whose teeth are spears and arrows. These are warlike men. These are men that are looking at the circumstances, looking at the things around them. They're not men of faith like David. And they were afraid of the circumstances. You notice in verse 3 it says, Behold, we be afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we come to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? They were afraid in Judah of Saul. And now, David, you're saying that the Lord's telling you to go for us to go down to Keilah where we'll be fighting the Philistines on one side and Saul will be behind us. Man, we're, we're going to get in trouble here. We're not, we're not tuned in like you are. So David says in verse 4, notice what he did. David asked again. And notice that David didn't ask again because because he needed to know. <laughs> he asked again because they needed to know. And, and, you know, there was a time when I read of the Lord himself who had constant contact and fellowship with his father. But the Lord Jesus Christ came to um, the place where Lazarus lay and he prayed with himself, Father, I'm so thankful you hear me. And then he says this, he says, Now I know you hear me always, but for these that are around me here, I'm, I'm praying this so that they'll know that you hear me, you see. And I'm paraphrasing that, of course, but you can go and read it. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes... The display of our faith is important to others. The display of our faith is important to others. You know, uh, there was a time in my ministry where uh, I was all mixed up and confused and not certain about where I needed to be ministering, where not certain about what the Lord had for me in my life. And you know what that did to my family? That made them all uncertain, made them all confused, made them... Uh, cautious, even about coming here to this place. And of course, we know, you know, the end of this story is, is that there's no doubt this is where the Lord wanted me to be. <laughs> but, uh, but there was a lot of doubt at the beginning because, and it came primarily from, from me as the leader, not, not displaying the faith that I needed to display. But guess what? When I started displaying it, it helped them too. It helped. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm faithless in many situations still to this day. But I, I can look back on my life and see in the times when I did inquire of the Lord and I did try to minister to their needs and I was trying to be faithful, that it helped them too. That helped them too. If the trumpet make an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for the battle? If the leaders are all mixed up, you know, what are we going to do? Listen, we're all leaders. This is not just talking about me as a pastor. You see, understand where we are, child of God. We're at Zion Primitive Baptist Church. And, and, and here at this church, don't take this as an arrogant statement. It's not an arrogant statement. It's not at all. It's, it's, a, it's a statement of thankfulness and, and, and praise to God. But, but we know some things here from the Word of God that a lot of people out there don't understand. 
And you know, it, it comforts me. I, I, don't, I don't ever come to a point in my life where the true gospel message is not good for me. But there's many uncertain sounds being made out there in the world. There's many gospel, so-called gospel trumpets being blown, but they're blowing an uncertain sound. Jesus will save you if. God has sent His Son to die on the cross for them if. Uh, God, uh, Jesus died on the cross and finished the work, but... You see, all those things are uncertain sounds. It's like saying, it's like the trumpet blowing, charge, but wait, <laughs> you know, yeah. wait a minute, what do you want, you know? <laughs> Let's go, wait, Ooh, wait. Oh, hold on, time out. What do you mean, <laughs> you know? You, you, you know, the, 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 the mixed up message will cause you problems, you see. And we've got something here that the Lord has blessed us with through His Word here. And we are all leaders in that. You see, I'm, I may be the pastor and supposed to be the spiritual leader of the church, but you are leaders in your uh, web of uh, influence, in your circle of influence. You are leaders, you see. And we don't need to be making uncertain sounds. And we need to be willing to display our faith. And that's what David did. He says, look, God's told me already, but I'll go ask Him again. <laughs> I'll go ask him again. And I love the fact that God gave him an even more specific answer. He says, the Lord answered him and said, Arise. The first time he said, Shall I go? And he said, Go and smite him and save this city. The second time he says, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. I like that. God says, Okay, just to make it clear here. I told you before, go, and you're going to say, and go and save the city. You know, let me just make it clear to you. I am going to deliver these Philistines into your hands. Okay. You know, one of the things I love about the Word of God and the promises we find therein is that we find some general promises and then we find some more specific promises. <laughs> you know, we find the promise that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's not an Armenian verse, by the way. That's a very primitive Baptist verse. <laughs> That's a true verse. That's a wonderful verse. It doesn't tell us about how we believe. Actually, it does if you read the context. If you go back to the third chapter, actually the first three chapters of John, yeah. you're going to find that all that context is about the new birth in right. different ways. In a different, you know, people that are alive, you know, in the first <laughs> chapter he says, uh, as many as received him, to them gave he um, the, the, the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born. In other words... If you've received him, if you've believed on him, that means you've already been born. It, believing doesn't have anything to do with being born. It's not teaching us about how to get born. He's saying those that believe have everlasting life. <laughs> those that believe have it already. Okay, That's not a condition to meet. It's a position you're in. And that's a precious statement there. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But then he gets more specific. He says in Romans in, in Ephesians chapter one and verse four, he says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He tells us more specifically in Romans chapter eight, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Do you believe? Do you believe that you're justified by Christ? It's because you've been called by the Holy Spirit. You've been born again. <laughs> And whom he, whom he justified, them he also glorified. 
You know, it's, it's great to know that you've got eternal life, but I'm reading some more specific promises in the Word of God. I'm reading about being glorified. You know, what does it mean to have eternal life? That I'm going to be a wispy angel up there with wings, plucking on a harp, you know, singing on the clouds. And all. No, it's better than that. i got a better story. It says, when we shall see Him, we shall be like Him. <laughs> we're going to be conformed to His image. Our bodies are going to split the ground open one day. We're going to be, we're going to be conformed to the image of His Son. It's going to be glorious. And we're going to be there in a body. See, we get these specific promises. God will do that. He's just, he's just got a way of doing that. You know, you, you ask God, He says yes. And then you ask Him again sometimes, if you're asking in the right vein now. And He'll say, yes, and let me tell you more. <laughs> That's what He did here. He said, you go down there. Because I'm going to deliver them into your hands. <laughs> and then we see that God enriched his men. God enriched his men. Look at verse 5 and 6. We read that when they went down there and fought with the Philistines, that David's men brought away their cattle and, saved the, and smote them with a great slaughter and saved the inhabitants of Keilah. And then they just moved into the city. And it was a walled city, which was a big deal back in that day. In fact, things got even better because Abiathar, the only survivor from that massacre over in Nob brought the ephod, which was a big, important symbol of God, of, of, of the worship that they used in the worship there. He brought the ephod over, and he dwelt with them in that city. So he not only helped David deliver Keilah, but he also helped him take a great spoil. So, you know, God's kind of in that business. He's kind of in the business of blessing us. He's in the business of doing exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, I'd like to say to you that that was the end of the story and everything was rosy from there on out. But, you know, life's not like that. And it wasn't like that for David. It's not like that for us. He had a great victory here. He moved into the city, but we read in verses 7 and 8 that even though David had delivered Keilah, it says it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah, and Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand, for he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. And Saul called all the people together to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Saul so spies had told him, here's David now. David's won this great victory, but now David is he's trapped. He's in, in the prison, if you will, inside these walls of this city. So he made preparations to besiege the city. Now, you remember what I said earlier about Saul and about what, where you'll go, where you'll end up if you have anger and malice and hatred in your heart. I want you to understand something. Keilah was Saul's own people. Keilah was part of... The, the nation of Israel. These were not Philistines. These were Israelites. And Saul was willing to go down and destroy his own people just to get to David. What hate and malice are at work here and where it will lead you, child of God. Don't ever forget that. So even though David has delivered Keilah, now David needs to be delivered. And we're going to read the rest of this chapter is about David delivering himself and his men from the hand of Saul. Now notice in verse 7, we'll not read everything here, but uh, uh, we'll kind of go down through it here. In, in verse 9, uh, verses 7 and 8 tells us about Saul's spies. And now we read in verse 9 that apparently David had some spies 
because it says David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, bring hither the ephod. Now notice again, he seeks the Lord's counsel and seeks the Lord's guidance. You know, I love that about David. He continues to do that. Now he misses up. He miss, makes some missteps later on. But he sought the Lord's guidance here in verses 10 through 12. Now I want you to pay particular attention to this. We may, we may end up spending the rest of our time on this. Then said David, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Now here's his question. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And God gives him an answer. The Lord said, he will come down. Okay, then said David, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul. He was worried about their faithfulness and rightly so apparently because the Lord said they will deliver thee up. Now would you notice what's said here? There's no ifs, there's no conditions necessarily put on it. But he's teaching us a lesson here, okay? First of all, God says Saul's going to come down and the men of Keilah are going to deliver you up. So guess what? Now, now I, I, I say this to my fatalist friends out there. I say this to any absoluters that might be listening to this sometime. Has God absolutely predestinated everything that comes to pass? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches here. We say, well, God wouldn't be sovereign if that's the case. If he didn't just cause everything to happen that happened, he didn't manipulate everything, he wouldn't be sovereign. Let me tell you something. God is so sovereign that he is not only the God of what? He is the God of every possible circumstance. Every possible thing that could happen. He's the God of it. Notice what he says here. He says, now, now and, and I'm telling you, it, fatalists will, will take this and say, oh, come bring it on. God says, Saul's coming. God says, I'm going to be delivered up. Just bring it on. I'll tough it out. Lord, let it get here and get it over with. <laughs> That's what Eli said, wasn't it? You remember back over in 1 Samuel chapter 3? after being told that his sons were vile and he restrained them not in verse 13. God sent a message to Samuel, the young boy, and said, you tell Eli that his iniquity is not going to be purged and he's going to, uh, uh, I'm going to take everything away from him as far as the priesthood goes. But notice what he says in verse 18. Samuel told him every whit, hid nothing from him. And he said, oh, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth to him good. Now, I realize that there was some judgment coming on Eli's house that he couldn't probably forestall, okay? But you know what the, you know what the fatalists will do? The fatalists will say, well, just what is to be will be. There's no place for me to do anything. Just let the Lord do what he seems good. Now, I, look, there are places in our lives where we get to where there is nothing else we can do. Right. And all we can do is rely upon the hand of God, right. okay? But those places are usually places of deliverance. They're not places where we're obstinately going our own way and not listening to what the Word of God says. You know, that's what was happening in Eli's case. He wasn't restraining his sons. He wasn't doing what he should be doing. He wasn't doing what was right. He should have been out there every day. You say, well, they're his boys. They're his children. I don't care if they're his children. I don't care if my children are doing wrong. I cannot stand for that uh, in the context of worship, in the context of uh, of the church, in the context that Eli was in. You, you've got to, he, he had a duty to try to restrain them. He didn't do it. He just said, oh, well, just what is to be will be. I'll just keep going on my way. <laughs> what if David had said this year? 
Well, okay, Lord. <laughs> They're coming down. Saul's coming down. They're going to deliver me up. Just what is to be will be. <laughs> See, that's not, our, that's not our way. That's not what God's teaching us at all in his word. He's teaching us. You know, you know in, the, in the second chapter, I love that second chapter of John, the account of the, the, the water being turned into wine at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. You say, well, what is to be with The Lord's going to do whatever he wants to do there, right? Yeah, he is. Don't get me wrong, he's sovereign. Yes. But what, if those, what if those servants had gone in there and said, well, if the Lord wants wine, he'll get it, you know? Yeah. They told him to fill up, fill up the water pots. <laughs> well, you know, the Lord can fill them up. He's got the ability to do that. He does. He does. He could have poured, he could have powered, he could have had a little thunder, a little mini thunderstorm come down over those pots, and, you know, pour down water right in if he wanted to. He could have done it, but he didn't. <laughs> he expects it. There are times when the Lord will do stuff like that. But it's the exception, not the rule. You know, some, there are times when the Lord heals miraculously. I know people in, in situations where I believe people were healed miraculously. But, you know, primarily today, he heals through the hands of doctors. You know, you wouldn't want the doctor. I, I tell you one thing. If I ever have to have surgery, I'm going to ask that doctor ahead of time if he believes in what is to be, will be. And if he does, I'm getting me a new doctor. <laughs> I want him to believe in, the, in that, hey, I'm going to do everything I can to save this man's life, you see. Oh, what is to be, will be. We'll just do what it, man, I'm, boy, if I'm going under about that time, whew, I'm going to be scared to death. <laughs> if I'm going under here, whoa, wait. See, I don't want that. I want somebody that knows that is going to do everything that they can do to serve the Lord where they are and just like those servants that filled those six water pots up to the brim. Right. See, that's what God, that's, child, that's what we're to do as children of God. We're to fill our water pots up to the brim. And then if the Lord comes on the scene and changes that water into wine, praise God. That's right. But you know, if they fill them halfway up, they'd only had half as much wine, right? That's right. <laughs> if you want to, you just fill your, you fill your water pot up halfway, you'll have half as much blessing, you see. David here says this, or we're told about David. It says, will he come down? Yes. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up? In other words, will they betray me into the hands of Saul? He said, they will deliver thee up. So what did David do? If he was an absoluter, he, he should have said, then David just uh, circled his wagons and sat there and waited <laughs> till what is to be will be, <laughs> till it came to pass. But this is what David did. David and his men, which were about 600, then arose and departed out of Keilah. They departed and went whithersoever they could go. They left there uh, doing, because they knew that they needed to get away from there. They, didn't, they, they believed that they should continue serving God. And he led his men out to the places wherever it was that they could go. And we're told that uh, it was told David, Saul rather, that David was escaped from Keilah and he forbear to go forth. And David abode in the wilderness and strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph and Saul saw him every day, but God delivered him not into his hands. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. We see that he's gone from Keilah now to the wilderness of Ziph, doing what he should be doing, which is seeking the Lord's will and trying to, trying to uh, continue to serve the Lord. They moved around into this place called Ziph. Now Ziph, was, there was a city of Ziph and the wilderness of Ziph was right next to it. The city of Ziph was on the south side of it. But this was a desolate area next to the Dead Sea. And you know, the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because it's a salt sea. It's, you can't, you know, the, 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 the uh, unique thing about the Dead Sea is you can't drown, well, you can drown in it, but you can't sink in it. 
is so full of salt that people can, you know, they, they have people that go on treks to the Holy Land will go there and you'll see them just floating out in the water. They can't go under because the salt bears them up. But also because there's salt in there, it's dead. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. Nothing can, nothing can survive. Fish and that sort of uh, marine life don't survive there. Just some very uh, exceptional uh, types of life there. And, and the area around it is a desolate place. And David's faith and courage was greatly tested here. Uh, I've read accounts of people that when they go to the Holy Land and they see this area, they're amazed by the fact that David could even survive out there, especially with 600 men. But that's where he was. And you notice what it said in verse 14. Saul sought him every day. Now, David knew this. It says in verse 15, David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David, we're told, was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. Boy, isn't that a, just a, a very big type where we are today? We've got an enemy. David had an enemy that was seeking his life every day and we know he knew that this enemy was seeking his life and he was living in a wilderness child of god does that not describe us almost exactly we've got an enemy that's out to destroy us we're told he's even worse than saul you know saul was a big man saul was a but you could talk to him and reason with him you know we'll read about that a little bit later on but the devil that's out to destroy us and we're, we're told he's like a roaring lion out there roaming about, seeking whom he may destroy, seeking whom he may devour. I just, you know, I read these stories about, uh, I saw something on YouTube yesterday about a little account of a man who was eaten, who was mauled by a grizzly bear and had taken pictures. Of course, this guy was kind of foolish. He was like 50 yards away and took about 75 pictures of the grizzly bear until it started after him, you know, and he, uh, but, I can't think of a worse way to die, really. You know, I, I think about being eaten up. By, see, that's what the devil wants to do to us. He wants to devour us. He wants to devour Sometimes he'll devour us from the outside. He'll attack us from the outside. We all have enemies. I've got them. You've got them. They're out there. They would eat us up if we'd let them. But sometimes he tries to devour us from the inside. I, I tell you, the worst times of my life are not when I'm being assaulted from the outside. It's when I'm being eaten alive from the inside. Oh my, I've been there so many times where I'm just in a knot, where I'm either angry or depressed or ill or, or fearful or whatever, I, to the point where, where, you know, your stomach gets in a knot. Maybe, you, you know, you get to that point, child of God, and you'll, if you let those things that are carnal uh, have their head, if you will, you know, if you don't restrain them with the bridle like you would a horse, if you just let the... You just let the horse run, there's no telling where you'll end up. That's what David had. David had an enemy that was after him every single day. And he was a dedicated enemy. And he's out there in this wilderness. And you know, occasionally we read about in the uh, account of Boaz and Ruth, that Boaz told his, uh, his men, he said, you drop handfuls of purpose for her. You drop handfuls of purpose for her here and there. Just leave a little more there for her to get as she's gleaning in the field. I believe God does that for us sometimes. And I believe he did it here for David in verse 16. Verse 16 through 18, we read about the last time that David and his best friend were ever together. It says, Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. 
And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. And that also Saul my father knoweth. And they two made a covenant before the Lord, and David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. This is sort of an aside here that, that, that the writer gives us, but I believe it's important. Because as David's out here in this wilderness, there's some things, you know, he's surrounded by lions, remember? He, he's surrounded by people that hate him. And then God suffers and allows, providentially, I believe, this one man of all the men in the world that loved David the most to come visit with him. Just a little, little time. And it says that he strengthened his hand in God. You know, that's why the prayer was prayed this morning about fellowship. That's why fellowship is so important. I haven't seen you out on the campaign trail. I haven't been able to be around people from very much on the campaign trail or out in work or out in wherever else it is that I go that really love me and really have my best interests at heart. But when I see you, when we see each other, it thrills my soul. It thrills my soul. I was contacted the other day by Elder uh, Clayton Nival, who's a dear brother, his, you know, Brother Kenneth's uh, father. He was just asking me, just get in touch, check on me, see, you know, what's going on, how to tell me, asking some questions about what, you know, I just, I've been contacted by some people recently that don't like me, <laughs> you know. They're, they're trying to trying to bring me down, you know, or, or at best they're just kind of, I don't know about you, what do you know. What's, what's, what's the real story, you know, that sort of thing. But boy, it's a blessing when I find somebody that really does love me. And nobody loves me like other children of God do. You know that? That's why we need this church. You know, the church is, is a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ought to come here whether we want to or not, just because he said to. But I'm telling you, child of God, we, want, we ought to want to come here. And I know, that, I know don't, don't misunderstand me, I get up some mornings and don't want to be here. I get up some Sunday mornings and it'd be so much better just, I think, to just stay at home and just, you know, go fishing or go watch a ball game, do something else. I just don't want to see anybody. You ever been there? Oh, I don't want to see anybody. I just want to be, you know, I just want to vegetate and leave the world out. Nobody. But, you know, let me tell you something. When I come here, my heart rejoices. I think, did we sing that song? How did my heart rejoice to see? I mean, I, I, I rejoice to see you. I cannot imagine the joy that David felt as he was out there in this desolate wilderness being chased by his worst enemy, being surrounded by friends that he really didn't have much in common with that were out to get him and, and pushing him and probably getting him, questioning him, constantly dragging him down. And now Jonathan comes out to see him and it says he strengthened his hand in God. That's what we ought to be for each other. I want to be your Jonathan. Because you're my Jonathan. You're my Jonathan. I want to be your Jonathan. We ought to be one another's Jonathan. I'll tell you, Brother Buddy knows. I'm not at the office very much. I'm running around here and everywhere. When I finally get an opportunity to either call him or just run into him there, sometimes Tim's office is down there. I can just I just take my head in every once in a while and say, hey, how you doing? It just picks me up for the rest of the day. God allowed this good friend to come see him. And I believe he lifted him up. Now remember, this is their last encounter that we read about. We don't read Jonathan's name again. 
until the 31st chapter of this book of 1 Samuel when he's laying dead on the battlefield. And that's the last time we know of that they, that they come together. Now let me just say this to you. I, and, and, you know, I, I hesitate to say these things. It sounds like what you hear in the Armenian world. But we need to not forget this. This could be the last time we're together. When you see one another, it could be the last time we see one another. And, and, and one day it will be. Last time on this earth. One day it will be. And we don't, we shouldn't be, you know, I'm not saying we, I'm not saying we've got to run up to one another. We see each other on the street and start hugging and weeping on each other's, you know, shoulders. You know, I'm not saying we got to do that, fall down and, you know, and wall around and be so, you know, just be, yeah, we don't have to do that. I get that. Okay. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying this to you. Don't you take it for granted. Don't you take it for granted because the day will come when it will be the last time that we're together in this life. Now, the beauty of it is, is all that is is just a little blip on the radar of eternity, okay, for the child of God. We know that. But one day it'll be the last. Now, what are we going to talk about in those times that we're together? And, and, and again, it's okay to talk about the ball game, okay? It's okay. Especially if we win. You know, it's great. It's okay to talk about the Bible. It's okay to talk about the weather. It's okay. To, I'm not, we don't always have to get into a deep, uh, you know, a, a, a well of theological discussion. We don't have to. But I want to say to you that our fellowship together, it ought to be permeated with the covenants of God. It ought to be permeated with the things of the Lord. It ought not just to be like any other person out there. It ought not to be just ho-hum, that's, when I see you, when you see me, when we see each other, it ought to remind us of the fact that, you know, we're children of the king. Notice what these two did. It says in verse 17, fear not. Jonathan told David this. Fear not, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find me. Thou shalt be king over Israel. I shall be next unto thee. But look at verse 18. And they two made a covenant before the Lord. And David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. You know what they did when they got together for that last time? They reviewed the covenant. I don't believe this was a new covenant. This was either a reaffirmation or a review of the first covenant that you remember when Jonathan said, I want you to swear to me that you'll take care of my children. When I'm gone, I want you to, I love you, you love me. You know, it's a covenant made together. You see, they reviewed the covenant. <laughs> they reviewed the covenant. And this encouraged David, I believe. Child of God, I believe it's important when we're together that we ought to review the covenant. Oh, I, I don't mean we've got to go recite the five points, you know, of the doctrines of grace every time. But, you know, there ought to be something about our fellowship that's different than just the kind of fellowship we have in the world. There ought to be something different. Let's, let's just remember in our daily walk here in this life, when we see one another, when we're together, let's review the covenant. Let's remember the things that make us what we are. You realize that all of us, and you think about, go back seven years ago, okay? We're six years into this church uh, being revived. You go back seven years ago, and there's not many of us, but for this church, but for what we have here, we might not all be together. Some of us might not have even known one another. But we're together now because of the covenant. 
a covenant that the Lord made with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to give you a people. And by the way, you're going to leave them something here that's precious and special and different. Something that you're going to die for and that you're going to pay, shed your precious blood for. And they're going to come together in covenant relationship as family, as a family, my family. Behold I and the children thou hast given me. May the Lord add His blessings to His word. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.